some ways this has been an unusual summer in how many of our folks have been traveling. You just never know who's going to be here Sunday. But next Sunday, we're going to have a whole bunch of folks in, from TCF in Salt Lake City. And some of you know why. Well, Abigail Hullinger and Wesley, the very time we're gathering here to worship God, Jim Grinnell will be tying the knot in Salt Lake City. <laughs> So uh, let me urge you this week, be in prayer for this couple, that God will be glorified in the union that comes about. One of my early morning vigils this past week, I was deep in prayer, and I asked God, Lord, what word do you have for this congregation next Sunday? And just like that, one word, wait. <laughs> now, did that mean I was supposed to wait and he would tell me later on? <laughs> but uh, the more I prayed, it seemed no. The word for today is wait. Now, of course, immediately as I began to think about that, a lot of scriptures came to mind that have the word wait. I'm sure most of you could recite Isaiah 40. Uh, Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength, mount up like on wing, uh, eagle, eagle's wings. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. As a matter of fact, I, I looked through the Psalms. I found 17 times in the Psalms that the psalmist describes the blessing for those who will wait for the Lord. Isn't that something to think about? <laughs> then I started to think about the word wait. Now, you know, in English, we use the wait in almost two contradictory ways. For instance, we talk about waiting on tables, and, and that means you're busy as a waiter or waitress doing things. But the other way is bide your time, anticipate, hope, <laughs> wait, wait. And as I looked at the various scriptures that spoke of waiting, it is that second of these that in every instance, that's the meaning, to wait for. And as I continued to pray, something else leapt into my mind, and that was John Milton's sonnet on his blindness. Some of you have read some of Milton's stuff, Paradise Lost, Paradise Regained. Milton was a well-known world traveler. He was a man who was deeply involved in British politics. He was a writer. He wrote pamphlets. He was very much involved in theological controversy. When he was 45 years of age, he became blind. And he wrestled with his worth. How can I be any good or any use to God if I'm blind. From that point on, every poem he wrote, every pamphlet he wrote, had to be dictated to a secretary. And as he wrestled with his worth to God as a blind man, he wrote the sonnet on his blindness. The sonnet is not written with poetic rhyme, but poetic meter. And it ends with these three lines. His state is kingly, 
and thousands at his bidding speed or land, post or ocean. And then this last line is the important one. They also serve who only stand and wait. I thought about that poem and that line and it occurred to me that that's an important line for many in this body. We have in this church individuals that years ago were real shakers and movers. Some managed significant businesses. Some were pioneers and innovators, really, in the use of computers in the petroleum industry. Some were involved in hard physical labor. Some were builders. There are certain places in Tulsa where I can drive and see a rock wall, and I remember who built that wall. Some have been teachers. Some have been involved in various professions, mental health, medical care. Some took the love of Jesus Christ to the far-flung corners of the world. But today, because of physical infirmity, intellectual challenges, those things that once defined their activities, no longer can they do them. And sometimes when one is in that case, he begins to ask, am I of any use? Am I just treading water, waiting for life to end? Let me say to you who are in that place today, that's not true. Who you are in Christ Jesus and who you are to this church is something that we cannot define, we cannot codify, and yet we feel your presence and the spiritual strength that we have in this body because you are here. Those who only stand and wait also serve God. Do you ever stop to think about the fact that those of us who are servants of Jesus Christ, we're really called to live a life of waiting, aren't we? Here's some scriptures. Luke 12, be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him. When he comes and knocks, Galatians 5, 5, we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10, they themselves report about us. What kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come, Romans 8, 20. Five, if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Those of us who are followers of Jesus live a life of waiting. We're waiting for the sound of the trumpet. We're waiting for the shout of the angel. I've mentioned before how busy June of 1957 was in my life. 
June of 1957, I graduated from Cincinnati Bible Seminary, having been there five years. For four and a half years, I'd been the minister of a small country church at Saltair Corners, uh, a bit east of Bethel, Ohio. And Barbara was pregnant with Greg. <laughs> and as we moved from Bethel to Mauristown, Ohio, which was a French-German community, because it seemed that it was God's will for me to move from that church to this one, so we relocated, we changed, we were moving from that church to this one, that town to this one, getting out of school, getting acquainted with new people in the new community, and I think I'd preached only one or two Sundays, and I got a call, my father died. And so quickly I took Barbara and John, who was a year and a half old, back to Saltaire to stay with a family there that was like family to us, put Jimmy and Diana in the car, and we quickly drove to Lafayette, Indiana, picked up my aunt, my father's sister, drove nonstop to Muskogee. The funerals the next day turned around and drove straight back in time to preach three times that Sunday. <laughs> but I had no time to grieve over my father. About a year later, I stood on the patio outside the parsonage, and I don't know why, but I began to look at the clouds. And I began to imagine Jesus Christ assembling all the saints who had lived throughout the ages, that group pictured in Hebrews chapter 12. And I wondered, is my father with them? I listened for the shout of the angel and the trumpet. It didn't come. But I'll tell you on that day, the second coming of Jesus was so real to me. And I have to admit that I regret that I get so busy in life that I don't take time to look at the clouds and wonder, is this the day? Oh, brother and sister, the second coming of Jesus needs to be so strong in our awareness. Those of us who are followers of Jesus are called to live a life of anticipated waiting for the coming of the king. Sometimes we say, well, I've been waiting a long time. Let me give you an interesting perspective. Genesis 3.15, the protoevangelium, which Jesus for, for the first time was predicted, in which God said, someday I will send a descendant of Eve who will crush the head of the serpent a promise of a deliverer but it was thousands of years before God made any move to begin to fulfill that promise the race grew humanity grew the flood came and went the tower of Babel and then one day after thousands of years, and we can't be sure how many, 
God called a man named Abram to leave his father's house and family and go into a country the scripture says he knew not of. And then he began to speak to Abraham about his role in God's coming redemptive plan. That there would be a son born to him that would bless all the peoples of the world. That was a prediction of Jesus. And then 2,000 years went by. <laughs> and then Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Think about this. It's been just about 2,000 years since 11 men stood on Mount Olivet outside of Jerusalem with Jesus. And before his very eyes, they began to ascend into the clouds. And two angels stood nearby, say, You men of Galilee, why stand you here looking into the heavens? This same Jesus whom you see going into the clouds will return in the same manner. That's what we're waiting for. <laughs> the return of Jesus Christ. And you say we waited 2,000 years. Well, look at how many times went between each of those episodes. As God moved through his redemptive plan in the history of humanity. Well, as I thought about wait and waiting, I thought about those times when sometimes we get so impatient in waiting that we take into our hands and try to do what God has said we're to wait for him to do. That happened with Abram, didn't it, and Sarah. Remember, they, the promise was given, and they waited, and they waited, and they were getting older, and Sarah was past menopause, and so far, no baby. And so she finally said to her husband, Look, take my servant Hagar, my Egyptian maid, and let her be your concubine, and hopefully she'll have a son, which will be, in essence, my son, because she's my maid. Abraham listened to his wife, went into Hagar, a baby was born, but that wasn't the one God had promised. Today, did you notice during the Olympics how the Arab students, actually Arab athletes, mistreated the Jewish athletes? A group of Jewish athletes, for example, tried to get on a bus. The Lebanese athletes wouldn't let them. They had to face one situation after another. ISIS today. Al-Qaeda. Think of all of the problems we have in the world today because Sarah wasn't willing to wait on God. And Abraham listened to the voice of his wife. And Ishmael was born who is the father of those nations. I wonder what it would be like if that had never happened. I was speaking to my friend Joel Kelly this past week about the tendency we humans have to lose patience and we don't like God's timing sometimes and we try to make things happen. He said, you know, that was just like Saul, wasn't it? And here's what he was talking about. After Samuel by the instruction of Jehovah God, anointed Saul to be the king of Israel. Various things happened. Saul prophesied, the Spirit came on him, and so on. 
And then Samuel took him to Mizpah and gathered Israel together, and there officially he was made king. 1 Samuel 10.8, Samuel said to Saul, go, When you go back to Gibeah, Gibeah was his home, when you get there, wait eight days, seven days rather, and then I will come and I will offer a sacrifice and tell you what to do. Well, after all the things happened, Saul went back to Gibeah, and he began to call to the Israelites to come and join him in an army. At the same time, the Philistines, about 12 miles west of Gibeah, were gathering to come against Israel. They had 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and... 1 Samuel 13 says they, the people they had with them were like the sand on a seashore. They were so numerous. Israelites were filled with fear. Some started hiding in caves. Some actually jumped in holes, pits, trying to hide where they couldn't be seen. Some fled across the Jordan to another country. And Saul was watching all of this happening and waiting for Samuel day one, day two, day three, day four, day five. Samuel hadn't come, so Saul offered the sacrifice himself. And just as soon as he had offered the sacrifice, Samuel showed up. If Saul had waited the rest of that seventh day, but he didn't. What have you done? Samuel asked him. Saul said, oh, well, I saw the people were leaving and I forced myself to do this. He had committed two sins. Number one, only a priest was supposed to offer a sacrifice. Samuel was prophet, judge, and priest. But secondly, he had disobeyed by not waiting for the arrival of Samuel. Sometimes... We have to fight the tendency to say, Jesus said, I will build my church, and we want to f make him do it, or we want to do it our way, instead of just obediently doing what he has called us to do and allow him to build his church. And we do that in our own lives, don't we? We sacrifice our integrity sometimes because, as many of the songs said today, we don't trust God. We don't wait on the Lord. We don't wait for that help that's coming. But there's this to think about also. We're not to be idle while we're waiting. You remember when Jesus was a boy, 12 years of age, they went to Jerusalem for the feast and when they started to leave they couldn't find him and after several days they did find him in the temple and they started to scold him and he said I must be about my father's business <laughs> that's true of us while we're waiting we must be about our father's business on one occasion, several of the Jews and others were asking Jesus, now you talk about the kingdom of God, how quick is it going to happen? And Jesus gave them a parable. It's recorded in Luke. Called in King James the parable of the pounds. Most of our modern versions say the parable of the money. It's really the mind. As he said, a, a certain man 
called his three servants together, and he gave each one of them ten minas. And he went away. He told them, you know, while I'm gone, use this. Make more money. And he went away for a long time. And when he came back, he called his servants to give account. And this one used his mind, multiplied it tenfold. This one fivefold. One had hidden his. He said, I knew you were a wicked man. You reap where you didn't sow. So I hid it. And the master's, what? You say, I am evil. I'm cruel. I weep reap where I did not sow well if that's what you think of me then you surely should have been busy (laughs) using the money the way I told you to and the point he was making is that after he went away we are to be busy about the father's business Jesus appeared to the crowd on one occasion just before his ascension and he gave us the task go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations immersing them in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you and lo I'm with you to the end of the age we're called to a life of waiting, but we're not called to a life of idleness. We must be busy about the Father's business. Lord, we thank you that we don't just have a wish, but a sure hope as we're waiting. We would ask, O God, for you to enliven in our hearts anew the expectation, the anticipation of hearing the shout of the angel, the blast of the trumpet, and the heavens be cleaved as you, with those whom we have loved to have gone before, accompany you, and we, O Lord, change in an instant rise to join them in the air with the resurrection. O God, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, divine patience would be given to us as we patiently wait while you work out your will. And let us know when we're putting our hand on something that only belongs in your hand, O God. And I would especially pray for these dear ones who struggle because of this infirmity or that infirmity for which Bill prayed today may they know O God that in your eyes they are beautiful treasures and to us valuable beyond our ability to express it we thank you through Jesus Amen Thank you, Jim, for that message on waiting on the Lord, waiting on his coming, just simply being about the Father's business. Let's stand. Father, we do ask that 
we be transformed more into the image of your son, Jesus. And as we wait upon you, Lord, we wouldn't be idle, as Jim told us to be careful of, but to be busy about the Father's business. So, Lord, as we leave these doors and go into the mission field, the place where you have brought each of us to a place to serve, proclaim, and be a witness of your glory and grace, help us as your people today be mindful of that. That your Holy Spirit lives in us and empowers us to do great and mighty things. We thank you for your word, for your presence, and for what you have done in this service this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We are dismissed.